Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned how to analyze a commercial property that is for sale. And in this episode, we are going to learn how to hire an incredible commercial leasing agent for your vacant units. We are interviewing Beth Azor. She is a powerhouse in the retail commercial real estate industry with over 34 years of experience in leasing, managing, developing, redeveloping, and teaching commercial real estate leasing agents all over the country. She currently owns six shopping centers valued at over $80 million and is the author of a few books on prospecting and retail leasing. Here we go. Beth, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited to have you. And why don't we get started with you sharing a little bit about you and how you got into retail real estate? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Steph. My parents were in residential real estate. So when I was 18 and going to college, I got my real estate license. And all through college, during the summers, and breaks, I would help them out in their business and sit model homes. And I would get little commissions, which was great money when you're a college student. And after I graduated from college, I got a job as a special events coordinator at a not-for-profit in Miami, but I was making a whopping $11,000 a year. So what could I do to supplement my income? I did residential real estate on the weekends. And after two years of working seven days straight, my residential job said, come do this full time because you're making so much more money. By now, I was probably making about 23 at the not-for-profit, but making just over 25 on the weekends doing real estate. So I was tired of working seven days a week and I converted over full time to real estate, but immediately really did not like the slow pace of residential, going from seven days a, a week, working a job I loved with the special events to now sitting in a trailer at a home development five days a week. So there was a young woman there that was helping us out on the weekends and she was in retail leasing. And she said, if you don't like this, you should get into commercial real estate. And I said, commercial real estate, isn't that selling land? That's going to be more boring than this. And she said, no, 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 no. There's this thing called retail leasing where developers build grocery anchored shopping centers and leasing agents, we're we're the ones that go find the bagel shop and the insurance company and the shoe store and the dry cleaner. And once you help those people, you put them in business, you've helped them reach their 
American dream, and you're invited to every baptism, wedding, bar mitzvah, <laughs> communion, because you're part of the family. And I said, sold. I want to do that. That sounds like fun. And that was about 34 years ago, and I'm still doing it. Sounds like you like it. I love it. I, I love the variety. I, you know, this morning I met with a daycare who wanted to open a 10,000 square foot daycare. This afternoon we're signing a lease with a rotisserie chicken restaurant. Two days ago we met with a guy who wants to open an ice cream slash donut place. It's a huge variety because you get to meet so many different entrepreneurs. And then also corporately, I bought an office building that I recently knocked down and I'm building a Starbucks. So corporately, I work with the larger companies as well. But my love is the mom and pops. Why don't we jump right in? Please share what makes for a great retail leasing broker. Someone that's not afraid to ask the tough questions. Well, how much is it going to cost for you to open your business? And if someone says, like today, the, the daycare said $80 a square foot. And I said, okay, it's 10,000 square feet. That's $800,000. Then asking the second tough, tough question, which is, do you have the 800000 As anyone in real estate, our time is our commodity, so we need to maximize that to the best of our ability. So I think not being afraid to ask the tough questions. Also following up. Once in a blue moon, I'll help a friend who wants to open a location, and I'll call a bunch of landlords or shopping center owners trying to find space. And it blows my mind how many people do not return phone calls. It just blows my mind. So I think not being afraid to ask the tough questions, asking a lot of questions because telling ain't selling, asking is, and then following up. I think those are the two most important qualities. I am also often astounded by how many people don't follow up, even if they respond once. <laughs> right, following crazy. Up more than once is extremely right. important and that defines careers so from an investor's perspective how mm -hmm. do we go about finding the best retail leasing broker out there i think by doing your homework so for example i own six shopping centers and i've been leasing space for 34 years but i had a situation with a shopping center that I could not lease stuff. I couldn't lease. And for a year, I didn't assign one lease. And I have partners. And I remember I was driving in my car going to my uh -huh, 40th high school reunion. So now I've really aged myself. And I was listening to a book on tape in the car. And the author was saying, what is your biggest problem? And now that you have that in your mind, what are you doing to solve it? Are you doing the same thing you've always done? Because that's not going to work if it hasn't worked. And I realized as I was driving to my high school reunion, I was like, you know what? My biggest problem is I can't lease the specific shopping center. And I'm doing the same thing I've always done. I've, you know, cold called canvas, broker parties, bigger commissions. I've done the same thing and it's not working. A light bulb went off in my head and I said, I need to outsource this to another leasing company because obviously the leasing queen can't get it done. And I need to have my fiduciary to the partnership and the entity that owned the property, not to my leasing fees, which weren't existent anyway. So I called my partners. I said, this is going to sound crazy to you, but this is what I think we should do. And they were all for it. They loved that I could put my ego in my pocket and say, it's not happening. Sometimes you need a different perspective. 
And they said, well, who are you going to hire? I said, well, let me do my due diligence. And so what I did is when I got back into town, I knew the brokers that were working in the area and I called three of them and I interviewed them and I met them out at my property. And I said, tell me how are you going to lease it? One company wouldn't even do it for, they're like, we're not going to work for you. You, If you can't do it, we're not going to be able to do it. So I found out what would their plan be? What were their ideas? What was their deal sheet for the last 12 months? So I think understanding how many deals they've signed and how did they find them? Did they just get signed calls or did they go out and actively cold call and canvas and prospect to get the deals? So I think you would want someone that does that because if someone's just waiting in their office for the phone to ring, it's not going to happen. That's not the way you lease retail space today. Would it be fair to say that there is a specific set of questions that are important for us to ask them? Yes. Asking them for a copy of their deal sheet for the last 12 months or 18 months, and then asking them what of those deals were new tenants versus renewal tenants. And then for all of those new tenants, how did you find them? Was it a call in off of a sign? Was it a, a cooperating broker? Was it a cold call? Was it a prospect? Was it a social media post? So really drilling down on how they found the prospect, because that will give you a clear path and understanding as to how they're going to lease your property. Are they just going to put up a, a sign and expect calls to come in, or are they going to be extremely proactive in getting the business. I mean, those are truly the most important questions. And then you have to feel good and have an instinctual feel like I can work with this person. And I would also then ask that person for other clients they work for that you can call and get a reference. Are they proactive? Do they call back? How are the negotiations? Do they negotiate on my behalf? Or are they always calling me and saying, well, we should give this guy an extra month free or some tenant improvement money? Are they a true owner's rep or do they more so want to be working on behalf of the tenant? So I think those would be the questions that I would ask a retail leasing broker that I might be considering hiring. And how often should we be communicating with them and vice versa? What's the norm? The norm is you should be getting a written activity report once a month. And I think that speaking to them maybe two other times during the month, unless you have an active deal, I do one third party account. I have a, a Walmart shadowed anchored center, meaning we sold 20 acres to a Walmart and now we're building a Ross Dress for Less 7-Eleven Didi's shopping center. And that's my client. I don't own that property. I work for him. And because we have so many deals we're working on, we're talking probably three times a week. But when we've signed the leases and we're not actively working, we at least talk two other times a month and we send him a monthly in-writing activity report. I love it. Very professional. How many people do that out there? I think that the larger institutions that own real estate require the monthly reports. Some of them, I think, are crazy and want to talk to the leasing agents once a week, like an, a Monday morning call, which I tell the leasing companies to tell them you're not going to do that because I don't want my leasing agents on a three-hour phone call. I want them out leasing and being proactive and cold calling. But probably the more on entrepreneurial owners most likely don't require the monthly activity report. And I think that that's wrong because it's really easy stuff to forget. What was the activity he had last month? And 
Didn't he say he was mm -hmm. working on that coin laundry now for three months? And you're busy. If you own a bunch of properties, you're going to forget. So it's just really, really easy to have it in writing. And then that way you get the report. If it looks like last month and there's been no update after three or four months in a row and saying, look, you're on thin ice, I'm going to be looking for someone else to hire. It's a lot easier to keep hold them accountable when you have it in writing on the reports. Moving on to the retail investor's perspective of their own shopping center, what should they keep in mind in order to be their tenant's favorite landlord? I think keeping the property clean, keeping it well lit, a very well lit and safe and secure shopping center, I think is very important. I think my tenants like me, but if I don't get the rent on the second, they get a late fee. Now I've trained them. <laughs> so once you train them to know that you're going to be pretty diligent with that, I think that you're good to go. I'm sure there's a lot of property owners in my market, at least, that are okay if the tenants pay by the 15th or 20th of the month. I am not okay with that. A lot of times landlords don't always follow the lease exactly. So if the tenant calls and says, hey, my toilet's overflowing, well, your lease says that that's your problem. So being consistent is very important because you shouldn't play favorites and give one tenant one thing and another tenant not the same thing. But for retail, for shopping centers, curb appeal is so important to tenants because it impacts their customers. So cleanliness, if you can put flowers out at the entranceways, the colors of the flowers will attract someone driving by's attention. There's a rule of thumb in retail leasing that if you can increase the dwell time of your customer by 15 minutes, it adds $10 to the cash receipt in the store. So last year I invested in piped in music. I have a small center. It's anchored by Panera. So there's only about 20 tenants. I don't have a grocery store, so it's just a, a strip center, but I put in piped music and I added very nice red, colorful benches and my tenants loved it. And because I collect monthly sales reports from 80% of them, I definitely noticed that sales were increasing. Now, the economy is the best it's ever been down here in South Florida. So I'm not going to say that my benches and my music, you know, help their sales, but it might have. And if I can get my tenants, customers to hang out and enjoy the music and have somewhere to sit and rest their legs, I did look into Wi-Fi, but that was just too expensive. And then certainly listening to your clients, mobile to go in the retail world is huge. When Outback Steakhouse goes from two mobile to go parking places outside their side door to 12, you know that something's going on. And I have a sub guy that does extremely well. He does triple the business of a typical sub restaurant. And he had been asking for a reserved parking space forever. And I kept telling him no, because if I have to give one to one, then other people are going to ask. And I said, Harry, if you get a mobile to go app like Starbucks does, I will give you your own parking place because I understand now after talking to my peers in the industry that the pickup, drive in, park, run in and get the sub and get out can really add 20 to 30% to your business. So he's working on the app. And if he gets it, I'm going to give him a parking space. Another thing with shopping centers, Uber, if you have a larger shopping center, a power center, like with Best Buy and Office Depot and TJ Maxx and Home Depot, if you don't have an Uber pickup, you're behind the eight ball on that. So as our industry changes with consumerism and how people shop, 
you have to be reading up on that and thinking, how can I do something differently? How can I help my customers get more sales? I love it. This is so helpful for any entrepreneur out there in the retail world. What do you think about standalone buildings from an investor's perspective? Personally, I think they're risky because it's one check. For example, I'm on a tear to go buy as many bank branches that I can because I don't believe in the next three to five years bank branches will be a thing. And if I can buy a Bank of America or a Wells Fargo for 5,000 square feet, single tenant, and when they move out in a few years and I can redevelop them and replace them with a Starbucks and a Chipotle, I'm better because I have two tenants, two rent checks. As I call people around the country, and I'm focused on South Florida, all of my properties are within 10 minutes of my house. There was a chase that went out and the owner is in Omaha. And he thought he had a check forever, mm -hmm. a check for life. And I think that's scary when you have one tenant in one building. I think it's risky. For many years, Walgreens was a very solid investment bet. And now they're going to close 400 stores. And those investors around the country that own a 13,000 square foot box have very limited replacement options. They'll have to be knockdowns. There's Dollar General and Dollar Tree and Family Dollar and some local tenants, gymnastic studios, but there's less than 10 options for people to backfill Walgreens and certainly sure. not at the rent they were getting from Walgreens. I know there's a lot of people that love the single tenant investments, you know, fast food and medical. Personally, for me, I'd rather have a shopping center with 10 rent checks than a building with one. Why don't we move into retail leasing tips? I'm sure you have quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my side business. After running my six shopping centers, I, <laughs> is I train leasing agents around the country how to lease space for big and small companies. I think that the first thing you want to do is understand your market. So if I have five vacancies, I want to know the, the neighboring shopping centers. Do they have one or do they have 20? because that's going to dictate the rents I want, the incentives that I'm giving out. So you have to understand, you can't manage and lease your property in a vacuum. And then once you understand what the market is and what your competition is, the best thing to do is to create a target list. It's like, you know, you wouldn't go on vacation without knowing where you were headed. So you need to say, okay, in this demographic of income, I want high-end Botox. I want tutoring for my kids. I want a lash place. I want sushi. You want uses that are going to cater to the income demographic of the area versus if you're next to my shadow anchored Walmart, we have convenience store. We have a wings restaurant. We have a sneaker store. We have H&R Block instead of maybe a personal financial advisor. So understanding your demographics and then creating a target list of who you want to go after so that step three then is to be proactive and go knock on doors in those neighboring shopping centers or shopping centers three miles away with people looking for their second, third, fourth, fifth locations. From one straightforward person to another, I really appreciate how straightforward you are. You have... <laughs> 
you keep things I, to the point. I have, <laughs> I've heard you. I've heard a bunch of your. I've loved your podcast. I found you a few months ago, and I I know how straightforward you are and like to be, and that's how I am too. So we're <laughs> we cut we're cut from the same cloth. Definitely. Is there anything else that our audience should know? Well, I know you have a lot of listeners that are investors. So my new mission for 2020 is I'm unhappy by the lack of women investors in cash flowing real estate. I created a LinkedIn page and it says women who invest in real estate. And I said, if you want to invest or are investing, you know, join me on this closed LinkedIn page. And I instantly had about 300 members. You know, I started doing surveys. Are you investing? 80% of them said no. I said, why aren't you investing? And I heard the same thing stuff over and over again. Scared, don't feel comfortable with the numbers, and too complicated and too risky. And I said, well, where are you investing? Well, in the stock market. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you don't think that's risky and complicated and, you know, Tomorrow, when, when we have another E. coli hit with the lettuce, your Chipotle stock is going to go in the garbage. I've learned from this LinkedIn page that it's not that women don't want to, but they don't have peers that they can look up to. I said, mm -hmm. well, who do you know in your sphere that's a woman that's investing? And they say, no one. Wow. And I'm going to change that. Because I was raised Catholic and I went to Catholic school. And I remember in second grade when Sister Christine told my parents in front of me, well, Beth's going to be great in English and history, but not so much math and science. And that stuck with me my entire life to the point that for in college, I majored in English literature. Wow. But then I got into real estate and I said, you know what? I don't have the math skills I need. And I went back and took classes but women are told that. And, and I mean, I, I'm 59. We were told that all the time. Younger women with the whole STEM push, definitely a different generation. But the women that are investing, that have money to invest now, the baby boomers, these are these fears. I don't know the numbers. It's too complicated. It's too hard. It's too risky. And I'm scared. So how can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about what you do? On my website, Beth Azor, B-E-T-H-A-Z-O-R. And then the social media platforms I'm active on are LinkedIn. We have that group called Women Who Invest in Real Estate. And I have over 100 videos, free videos on YouTube on retail leasing. If anyone in your audience is interested, so if there's any owners of shopping centers, go watch some of the videos on YouTube. I have actually watched a couple of your YouTube videos and they are really, really helpful. Thank you so much, Beth, for sharing your incredible knowledge with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Make sure to subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And I would like to thank our latest reviewer, Tony Hocka. Quick tips knowledgeable guests and great tips that take years to learn in commercial real estate. Short podcast, but packed with info. That's right, Tony, we are short on purpose so that you can absorb all of these wonderful tips that all of our incredible guests are giving us. Thank you so much for your review. I really appreciate it. And I will see you guys next time.